millions of years ago, what could be termed as Earth's true monsters roamed the world. Titanic beasts that, that would shake the land as they walked by. Uh, now, of course, they went extinct. But is it possible? Or some people think. Uh, is it possible, in my best Jeff Goldblum impression, that <laughs> life uh, finds a way? Life finds a way. Are there still dinosaurs roaming the Earth today? Inquiring minds do want to know. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. All right, so as we look at the history of our planet, depending on uh, your, your, your point of view and your personal beliefs, but we're going to go with what science tells us for the dinosaurs here. Uh, the dinosaurs went extinct approximately 66 million years ago as part of what we now call the KT extinction, which we know was a cataclysmic asteroid strike and threw dust and debris up into the atmosphere and, and created a greenhouse effect mm-hmm. that actually cooled our planet and choked out all plant life, or a lot of plant life, uh, caused the extinction of three-quarters of all plant and animal life on the planet. Without plants, herbivores have nothing to eat. Without herbivores, carnivores have nothing to eat. Chain reaction. No four-limbed animal weighing more than 55 pounds survived this event. So, you know, you have your small mammals and some small reptiles that made it. And eventually, you know, the, these animals would, would become the creatures we're familiar with today. Those those surviving little dinosaur creatures would eventually become birds, you know, if you adhere to the, the current science. Essentially, every bird that is in existence is supposed to be a throwback to a dinosaur. And, and yet, we still continue to have dinosaur sightings even to this day. And I know you uh you said in your research you kind of you found some some anecdotes but there's some some really interesting stories if you dig back in the history a little bit. Basically if you're looking for a dinosaur in modern on the modern planet it seems like the Congo is the place you want to go. That's definitely a hot spot. Uh I would say probably half of all reported modern dinosaur sightings come from the Congo. I'm just going to jump right in here, and I'm going to talk about one of my favorite stories. I, I've been familiar with this one for a very, very long time. I'm going to talk about Michele Mbembe. I'm glad you're pronouncing that. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of strange names in here, <laughs> but by the time we're done. Uh, Michele Mbembe is a dinosaur supposedly found living in the Congo River Basin. Uh, now, the, the natives of the region describe it as a living creature, but they revere it almost as a spiritual entity. So... Again, depending, you know, a lot of people would say it was real. Some people, you know, well, this is just a creature they believe in. It is first mentioned in the autobiography of big game hunter Carl Hagenbeck uh, in 1909, where he wrote down that the natives natives described a creature that was half elephant and half dragon. Now, Hagenbeck, being a reasonable man, of course, speculated that this had to be a dinosaur. (laughs) Yes, why not? Uh, he compared it to the brontosaurus based on what they described. And 
noted the sightings happened in places that were not always inhabited by crocodiles or hippopotamus. Hippopotami. I'm not sure what the plural is there. Which seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of people like. Well, they saw a hippopotamus or deformed hippopotamus. Yeah, they want to. And... You, you want to. You want to try to attribute these sightings to something that we know exists. Yeah. And then later, there was another report came from a German captain, and and forgive me, Ludwig von Stein zu Lausnitz. Alrighty then. Yeah. He had heard reports in 1913 of an enormous reptile that was alleged to have lived in the jungle. Now, he claims to have seen the creature. And in, in his report, this is his exact description of what he saw. And, and I'm going to do you know quote here. Uh, said to be brownish-gray in color with a smooth skin, its size approximately that of an elephant, or at least that of a hippopotamus. It is said to have a long and very flexible neck, and only one tooth, but a very long one. Some say it's a horn. Hmm. A few spoke of a long, muscular tail like that of an alligator. Canoes coming near it are said to be doomed. The animal is said to attack the vessels at once and to kill the crews, but without eating the bodies. Hmm. Unquote. So that... I mean, it, it's not eating the victims when it when it capsizes these canoes. So that that makes it sound like a herbivore, right? Just being protective, maybe of its its surroundings. It's you've tough. got yeah, you've got the long neck, the long flexible neck, the long tail like that of an alligator, skin like a hippo or an elephant. I mean, this sounds like it could be a brontosaurus. Brontosaurus, absolutely. Later on, you have an Alfred Aloysius Smith. Again, I'm going to butcher some names here. <laughs> Uh, he mentioned the creature in his 1927 memoir, uh, but he referred to a creature called the Amali. And again, I'm going to describe his, his or I'm going to quote him here. Uh, I, and behind the Cameroon, there's things living we know nothing about. I've seen the Amali's footprint, about the size of a good frying pan in circumference, and three claws instead of five. Mm-hmm. So most terrestrial land animals have five digits. I mean, you know, like like the human hand, we have five digits, dogs, cats. Most animals, you know, have that. So the fact that it, it has a different footprint, mm-hmm. this is something, you know, something that, that might be unknown. An expedition in 2016 visited the Likuala swamp region in the Congo. Sounds promising. I, I, Great I place for a vacation house. I have house. that wrong. <laughs> They visited various Aka, or Pygmy, villages. Uh, and some of the villagers suggested that the last of this species had died out maybe a decade ago. Now, for Michele Mabimbe, there's been more than 50 expeditions that have traveled to the Congo to try to find this creature. No scientific evidence has been turned up to date, unless you count a large claw-shaped footprint recorded by a French missionary in 1776. That's going back a ways. And then similar footprints since then. Uh, there's some pictures on the internet if you want to look. Uh, there are some alleged photos of the Michele Mabimbe. I think one has been disproven to be an elephant with its trunk coming out of the water. This almost sounds like our uh, American version of Squatch. Well, uh, footprints yeah. and a few grainy photos. And you know that's about <laughs> the only proof we have. Well, it seems like most cryptids are out of focus, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, now, in 1985, and this is kind of what started me on this, there was a film called Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. I've actually saw that movie. Yeah, I, I saw that movie as a child. I loved that movie, but it uh, it depicts an expedition, and that they do, in fact, encounter these these large dinosaurs. And again, the reason it's called Baby is these, these people have find a wounded baby brontosaurus, I think, if I remember correctly. And, they nurse it back to health and, and that whole kind of, that old chestnut, if you will. <laughs> um, 
again, like I said at the beginning, dinosaurs are like the true monsters. You know, if there were ever monsters that existed on our planet, these would be it. Well, and you made a point there at the beginning of the show that, uh, you know, back thousands and thousands of years ago, literally when these things would walk, it, it would have to be like an earthquake yeah. due to their size. And we've talked about on our past episodes, you know, the oxygen, different levels and stuff. Even if they are seeing more recent sightings, which you've referred to, and they're saying they're about the size of an elephant. Yeah, I mean, it's logical to assume they probably got smaller. Yeah, they're not, I mean, the bigger the creature, the more it's going to have to eat. So it's obviously going to have to adapt, uh, assuming that it is adapted somehow through the whole cataclysmic event that was supposed to, ex- you know, make all of them extinct. Um, that part kind of scientifically does make sense. You know, yeah. The shrinkage of the size. Um, now, of course for these creatures to have survived such a cataclysmic extinction event. That's a big dice roll. That's a big one. And uh, some, and, and again, sightings aren't just limited to the Congo. Now, most of them are going to be Congo-related. Uh, you know, I think later on I'm going to talk about the Kasai Rex, which is a region of the Congo. Um, but there are sightings in places all over the world. I actually, just days ago, returned from visiting family uh, on the East Coast in the Virginia, North Carolina area. And uh, while I was out there, I was doing research for the podcast. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to kind of see what's, what's around me at this particular <laughs> moment. Obviously, I'm from Missouri, but I was visiting there. Uh, North Carolina. Wow. Uh, North Carolina, of course, has its legends. There's the Bigfoot. There's the Lake Norman monster, lizard men. But recently, there's been a growing belief of modern pterosaurs living in North Carolina. Pterosaurs are strangely common, actually, if you look at the stories. And, I mean, again, we've talked about in our day and age, it's easy to doctor up a photo and, and you know, put stuff on YouTube and spread it. But I uh, I went down this rabbit hole pretty hard uh, one night, and a lot of the photos and videos that they have around the North Carolina area are just, they're just like, wow. Uh, I mean, you can see the coloration of the skin, almost like the, not scales, but the, the, so detailed. It's just uncanny. Well, and uh, I think it goes back, uh, we covered this in our Mandela effect where I talked about where there's that picture of a Thunderbird. Yes. And that picture is clearly meant to be a a pterosaur. Yes. Uh, Cryptozoologist uh, Jonathan Whitcomb, he's an author of a book called Modern Pterosaurs, uh, recently published an article about creatures, including the pterodactyl sightings in North Carolina. He had commented, my associates and I believe that these are non-extinct pterosaurs, what many persons might call flying dinosaurs. Uh, pterosaurs and, and pterodactyls are similar. A lot of times people will, will use the, the words in conjunction with another interchangeably. interchangeably, um, But there are some differences. Now, there's a Cynthia Lee uh, who's been studying. uh, She's becoming a veterinary technician. Now, she had reported to Whitcomb in his article uh, that she actually saw in Raleigh, North Carolina, January 4th of 2020. (laughs) Wow, uh, that was... That's that's pretty recent. that long ago. uh, A large flying creature that had no feathers, but it did have a long tail with a diamond-shaped bulb at the end of the tail, and its head had a crest, as she described. Yeah, that is absolutely... Was it the pterodactyl or... Dead dead description, dead on. Um, And I mean, 2020, hey, hey, if anything's going to happen, it's going to probably be in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, her recent sightings in Raleigh weren't the first occasion someone in Cynthia's family had seen an apparent pterosaur. She had told Whitnam, uh, Whitcomb excuse me, about a sighting many years earlier that her mother and uncle saw one as well while they were playing outside their grandmother's house many, many years back. Uh, they had told the grandma, but of course she didn't believe it. Um, and she said up until this year, she thought they were extinct and she didn't put much merit into the story either. But since she's seen one for herself, uh, Cynthia has kind of become a, a believer, not only in her own family, but she says there's definitely something going on here in North Carolina. Well, and um, we we were talking about this earlier, and, and if you look online, there's a map of where there's been reported pterosaur sightings, and more than half of the states report pterosaur sightings. So it, it seems like a kind of a common I've, thing. I've got that map actually pulled up, and um, kind of, if you will, hot spots uh, in uh, for the states, here's a list of states that have had nine or more sightings over just the past couple years. They include, obviously, North Carolina, Texas, California, Virginia, Georgia, and Utah. So we're not talking about on one particular coast, one yeah, particular I mean, region, uh, kind of feathered across, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, across the United States. Yeah. Just in North Carolina, again, like I said, I started going down this rabbit hole, and it's like, okay, so so do we just have a couple sightings here in North Carolina? This this lady had seen one in January of 2020, and then apparently her mom and her uncle years before had seen one. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Charlotte, North Carolina. A man and his cousin saw something uh, bringing to their mind the word dragon. Now, Charlotte's a big city. That's a big city. I mean, I, I've driven through Charlotte. That's a, That's a big city. The man said, and I quote, it looked like something I had saw in a Jurassic Park movie and it flew over our car. <laughs> How scary would that be? Asheville, North Carolina, a lady uh, says that she saw a huge black winged creature fly very low over her car. It had no feathers, but had very sharp edges on its features and again mentioned this long tail with a diamond-shaped club at the end of it. Well, see, and Asheville's not too far from the Smoky Mountains there. I mean, kind of right there yep. in the foothills. Yep, very good coverage area. Jacksonville, North Carolina. Now, Sarah and I go to Jacksonville quite often. It's uh, one of our favorite spots right <laughs> there on the coast. But uh, an eyewitness there saw something huge flying in the sky. It looked pale greenish white and had smooth skin. It didn't appear to have any feathers, and it had the tail with a diamond shape on its end. Now, again, these things seem to be attracted to moving objects, a lot of times to a car. They swoop down, maybe considering it prey. I was going to say, maybe maybe they can consider that something they can snatch. Possibly. Probably don't want to ride in a convertible. <laughs> Note to self, North Carolina <laughs> yeah, beaches. If you're in North Carolina, stay out of a convertible. Uh, North Carolina has since, uh, it's being considered by many cryptozoologists as one of America's top spots uh, for pterosaur sightings. That's crazy. <laughs> Again, my sighting, you know, Michaeli Mbembe is dated. The Kasai Rex is a little older. But, but modern pterosaurs, you know, flying around. And in America. Yeah, across the United States. And that, and what really sticks with you, that, that little detail, like if you're not a dinosaur person, maybe you don't know that that diamond tail club, whatever, that's like a feature of that particular creature. And the crest on the top of the head, I yeah. thought was a nice feature. And if you're not, if you're not a dinosaur person, you're you may not, not know that. Yeah, you're not going to be able to dream that up. Yeah. 
Well, I teased it earlier. I want to talk about what what I what they call the Kasai Rex. And I hope I'm getting that name right. This is also found in the Congo, another region of the Congo. This dinosaur is presumed to be some breed of Tyrannosaur. So the stories are a little more intense. In 1932, experienced Swedish hunter John Johnson, or in some accounts, Johansson, uh, he went went hunting for a large elephant. That's what he wanted to find. He was uh, in Cape Town, South Africa. So they had gone out on this expedition. He had crossed, uh, the, there's a swamp that you have to cross to get into the Kasai region. It's sort of a, a grassy valley, uh, like a savanna. Right. Uh, he reached the savanna. Now, out in the Kasai Valley, typically there's a lot of lot of game there. They were re- they were you know, they were having a hard time finding anything to hunt. They had finally uh, finally come across two elephants. Now he believed he was tracking a herd of elephants, so the fact that these there were just two elephants there seemed a little strange to him. Right uh, now, these elephants there was something going on. They seemed to be sort of in defensive posture. They seemed to be skittish little concerned, you know, they were scared of something. Mm-hmm. He thought, you know, possibly, you know, obviously great white hunter, you know, they're, they're probably scared of him, right? That's his thought. Um, but there was supposed to be a whole herd, so he was immediately concerned that they had only seen two. About that point in time, he noticed about 130 feet away, uh, kind of stalking through the underbrush is, is, is a large creature, something he's never seen before on the savanna. He just kind of sees it in the, the grass, and he doesn't know what to think, but he, he believe it, it's stalking these elephants. This creature leaps to attack, comes out of the, the brush, charges the elephants. Jo- Johnson, he's got his gun in hand, so he takes aim, and he shoots at the creature. Now, he says he shot twi- or three times, but only hit it once. But when he did, the creature kind of became, you know, he got hit, was shocked, didn't know what had hurt it, mm-hmm. heard the report of the gun, and, and sort of backed away, and eventually turned tail and left. Withdrawn. So after this experience, they decide they're going to return to Cape Town. They don't want to stay out here and mess with whatever this is. <laughs> Can't blame them. About halfway through the swamp on their way back, they hear a splash. They turn, and Johnson again spots the creature some 60 feet away, coming towards them in the water. Ooh. Johnson describes the creature as reddish in color with blackish color stripes. It had a long snout and numerous teeth. The hunter becomes the hunted. Uh, judging it to be about 43 feet long, Johnson decides, based on his, his knowledge of, of wild animals and what he's seen, this has to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, again, like, like the wow. earlier side, like he, this guy decides it is a T-Rex. So, so years later... In 1951, Robert Henderson, a great hunter and expert zoologist, decides he's going to make a trip to the Kasai Valley. He wants to see for himself whether or not this creature exists. So he uh, he makes the trip in 1951. He was going to leave earlier and then had a family tragedy. His wife passed away, and so that delayed his trip by about a year. So he makes the trip to the Kasai Valley and leaves on what is planned to be a six-day hunt. He piles in a jeep with about five native helpers. And they take off to the Kasai region. I'm going through my mind as I'm going on a T-Rex hunt. Yeah. Um, obviously, in I'm on a, <laughs> in a Jeep, uh, an elephant gun. Okay, that, that that's within reason. How do you prepare yourself for this? I mean, seriously. <laughs> well, I have to assume that a guy like Henderson is like, this isn't real, but if it is, I'm going to go take a I'm shot gonna, at it. Yeah, you want to be prepared, I would Kind of reminds you of that guy in the second Jurassic Park movie where he's like, gets that chance to go hunt a T-Rex, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm on. <laughs> so he leaves... On the six-day hunt, and after six days, he doesn't come back. Uh Uh-oh. 
So then locals wait and they wait a few days. A pretty big storm comes through and they're like, well, maybe he got caught in the storm. So they wait for the storm and give it a couple more days. And they're like, okay, we got to go find Henderson and his men. These are, these are some of our own people. So 10 villagers and five military men set out to go find them. Uh, the next day, the next day they find traces of the Henderson camp. They believe traces this is, they believe this is, well, like they had camped there and they had broken camp. Okay. Okay. So there's evidence that they had camped. They think that this may be like their initial camping spot where they okay. had stopped. I, I had originally envisioned this ramsacked camp. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, they estimate that maybe they'd been there for a couple of days. So they kind of stopped there for the night and then they continue their search the next day. After walking several kilometers, miles, they find, uh, well, they, f- they find Robert in his group or what's left of them. Mm. Uh, they, they find a point where it's cl- a, a massacre has happened. Something, something awful has happened here. Um, there are just pieces of Robert and his companions left. Just pieces. Wow. All they find of Robert is a forearm and a hand. So they recognize, I, I don't know if he had like a watch or something, but they Ring, realize, you know, that that's Robert's arm, but that's all they find of Robert. Marks at the scene indicate that the camp had been overtaken by an animal of some kind, uh, a large creature. Now, most people regarded Robert as a fantastic hunter who would never miss a shot. So if, if his camp had been attacked by an animal, he would have been, you know, he would have taken this creature out. Right. So whatever attacked them was big and strong enough to get shot by Robert, according, you know, to be attacked and shot by him and not killed and still have enough strength left in it to wipe out the rest of this camp. And again, I mean, the only thing they found of Robert was an arm. So where's the rest of them? Now, this is what they call an unconfirmed sighting. Obviously, no one can confirm what in fact happened to the, the Henderson expedition, but they were attacked by something large. Something strong, something fierce, and, and and big enough that you know Henderson, who's out there hunting hunting for something big, could well, shoot it and not kill and it. And you mentioned that in the original sighting that he had fired three shots, hit it once, and then obviously it seemed to kind of take a vengeance and follow the yeah. group back. So even there was another proof that it had been hit before, and probably just pissed it off. Yeah, you know. But but all descriptions of the Kasai Rex describe it as a tyrannosaur. Now, if you go online, there's a very funny, grainy photo that shows a rhino laying on its side, apparently dead, and what looks to be a Ray Harryhausen-esque T-Rex feeding on said dinosaur or said rhino. Okay. Um, if you're familiar with Harryhausen and his work, the stop motion animation, you know that Clash it, of the Titans, and it didn't look. You know, this isn't Jurassic Park quality effects, yeah, yeah. so. Okay. Well, a, a lot of stuff like you're focusing on the Congo, which I think is great because it has some total mysteries of its own that adds the allure. I'm going to reel us back over kind of the United States. Um, found a newspaper article, and it says uh, this was actually in the Independent newspaper uh, on Wednesday, the 10th, uh, July of 2019. The article title says, Forgotten Dinosaurs Returning from the Edge of Extinction After Sightings in U.S. Rivers. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, this this is kind of what we're talking about. I kind of dove into that. Um, now, the story I'm gonna I'm gonna quote literally out of the story here to, to kind of set the precedence. They once owned rivers up and down America, needing nothing more than their age-old birth certificate 
uh, to make their presence known. With an evolution that can be tracked back a colossal 245 million years. And I'm like, I'm all ears. I think I saw this article. I think I read the same one. The sturgeon fish. Yes. <laughs> is among the longest living of the dinosaur family. Not that a sturgeon fish isn't strange looking. Have you ever, I was going to say, if they, you've ever seen They're one, menacing looking. They are armor plated, weird A prehistoric looking. thing. But, you know, obviously I'm thinking Loch Ness monster type stuff, yeah. you know, and I'm kind of reading in. Later later on, as we get closer to the end, I'll, I'll have, I have a similar story I'd like to share. <laughs> that involves my stepdad. <laughs> but again, if we're going off of science and tracking back dinosaurs, uh, the sturgeon fish is a great example of one that obviously did adapt, did survive. Um, the tides are dramatically changing in uh Many of the cold streams of Maine, Lake Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, even some of uh, Florida's rivers. Scientists have been finding more and more sturgeons, and in new places where they were thought to be long gone, uh, increasing numbers of them in many rivers because the water uh, is cleaner. Uh, Of course, new government acts and stuff uh, have got away from dumping chemicals and raw sewage and stuff in, in the rivers. He says it's really been dramatic reversal of fortune. So, uh, Greg Garman, he's a Virginia Commonwealth University eco- ecologist uh, who studies Atlantic sturgeon uh, flowing now into the Virginia James River. We don't think they, we didn't think they were there, frankly. And he said uh, we hadn't even really been looking, but more and more sightings had been occurring. Uh, a sign of the retrieval of a 14-foot Atlantic sturgeon as long as a Volkswagen Beetle was recently spotted in New York's Hudson River. I don't care who you are. That would be pretty scary if you're out there in a little well, boat. And again, they're a scary looking fish. So yeah. that's. I mean, you talk about, I think I saw a dinosaur <laughs> uh, sighting. That That's a real life possibility. Well, yeah, like you said, they're, they're armor plated. They've got like this weird head crest thing going on. Yes. So. Very primitive looking. Um, some of the sturgeon populations in the Pacific coast are abundant enough to support limited recreational, even commercial fishing is starting to open up on them. Um, Alabama, uh, is now having sturgeons, but they are, uh, very rare there. But again, they're branching out into more and more of these rivers. Now, last fall, um, a sturgeon research, research ecologist <laughs> with the university of the U S army Corps of engineers, um, netted, more than 200 baby Atlantic sturgeon in the James River alone. So obviously there's some major uh, comebacks there of, of reclaiming property. Uh, while not every river has seen improvement, uh, the Atlantic sturgeon appear to be slowly recovering uh, all across uh, since about 1998. The short-nosed sturgeon also shows signs of bouncing back with the population nearly doubling uh, from about 5,100 in late 1970s to more than 9,400 in 2000. Uh, that alone is in the Quebec River just in Maine in their research. Now, shifting gears here a little bit, it's a single picture. But again, once you start down <laughs> these rabbit holes, uh, it, it got my attention, much like this article did. Uh, 2012, Siberia. A woolly mammoth was caught on film crossing a river. can visually see the large tusks and the shape of an elephant with very long woolly hair. Um, I saw the video. I watched it multiple times. It is a little grainy. I think I, I, I've seen this. Um, yeah. But obviously for someone doing research into this, uh, that, that caught my attention. 
they were thought to be extinct over 10,000 years ago, however, and we have now done carbon dating of bones found where our ancestors used them for tools and weapons. So there's one that's kind of fading in and out of the veils, so to speak, but obviously lived longer than a lot. And oh, this is kind of semi-related, but the Russian in, 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 in Siberia, they also believe in the Irkuyan, what they call the Irkuyan which is a gigantically proportioned bear, which could be like the cave bear, right? You know, right? So, and and the and you know, we talk about the Congo being a vast unexplored region. I mean, one could argue that the the same with Siberia. Siberia is large. I mean, it's I, I would argue it's it would be harder to explore Siberia. I mean, it's just frozen, un, inhospitable yeah. wasteland. While the Congo is uh, inhospitable, Siberian is dialed up. Yeah. Definitely a few. So while. While Michele Mbembe and the Kasai Rex are fairly well detailed, I do have some some little like anecdotal deals here. Uh, the Erica Monster, A R I C A. I don't want in you know I don't want Erica. Hmm. Um, supposedly it inhabits the Atacama Desert of Chile. Uh, motorists driving through the region are the ones that are most most commonly reporting it, but they they describe a six foot tall, sharp toothed, bipedal dinosaur. Uh, they oftentimes see them running across the road or, or, or the like. Uh, they leave behind a three-toed footprint. They were first spotted in the 1980s. In 2004, several members of a Spanish family had their car surrounded by a group of these creatures, which they described exactly as a, a velociraptor from Jurassic Park. Scary stuff. Um, a, a, a one that, that I get a good chuckle out of, uh, we have the Barunjor. Or your, I'm not exactly sure. I would assume it's an Aboriginal one, but this is an Australian cryptid that strongly resembles a T-Rex. They describe it as being 20 to 25 feet long, with small clawed hands and and walking bipedally. Uh, Australian ranchers reported a large creature that was eating their livestock throughout the 1950s that would match that description. Early Aboriginal accounts suggest that there is some sort of reptilian creature, possibly feather covered, which. You know, as science progresses and we learn more and more about dinosaurs, we find that a lot of them probably did have feathers. Right, right. Uh, there's a report from 1978 that I, I really enjoy. I, the gentleman by the name of Brian Clark got lost out in the outback in the in that region. The, the alarm was raised. They were concerned. So a bunch of policemen and a couple of aboriginal bushmen went out tracking him. They were awoken one night to what they described as a thunderous roar in the ground shaking beneath them. Uh, nothing happened to their camp, but obviously something must have been close or at least, you know, concerned by, Feel their, the presence. by them being there. Uh, after they found Clark the next day, they told him, point blank, if you ever get lost out here again, you're on your own. We're not looking for you. <laughs> so they were obviously concerned by this. The last known documented sighting was in 1985 when, when a family traveling to the Roper River reported seeing a roughly 20-foot long creature with uh, feathers kind of out, you know, along the river. Uh, one more little little anecdote here, and I hope I get the name right. Mabulu, Mabulu, Mabulu. Or, and, and okay, the, that translates into... Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> the animal with planks growing out of its back. The animal with planks growing out of this its back. This is another Congo dinosaur, but it's a four-legged herbivore that kind of walks along the ground. And has uh, a series of uh, flat plates that go along its spine, which gotcha. if you're familiar, you know, that yes. sounds like a, a stegosaurus. Uh, most sightings are seen by local villagers of Bunila and Ibolo. 
And said to always see it near the water, so they've never seen any footprints. There's no documented footprints, but they they say it is absolutely a plant eater. Like it is always munching on on you know grasses and whatnot along the edge of the the river. I came across kind of a weird one, um, the creature known as the Lau, um, one of the strangest dinosaurs that could possibly ever exist. Sounds like is in Africa. Um, now they are saying that this is still going on sightings today. Uh, it's nearly a hundred feet long, resembles a horse. However, it has fins and a very Cthulhu-ish tentacles coming out <laughs> of its face. Um, now, this is said to live in the Sudan area, especially the Zeroff River regions. And in 1994, one of these was reportedly killed, but no body was found as it sunk and they, they could never retrieve it. Now, this does seem to be one that there are multiple sightings, so not just a, a single creature, but possibly pairs or trios or families. Um, th- that, that would be a pretty, pretty weird one. Now, I also reel us back home here for the United States area. Uh, you were mentioning like some T-Rex type dinosaurs, uh, and I had come across some southern Texas spottings of some similar creatures. And I don't have a lot on this, but a, a couple people were interviewed, and I wanted to share that. It's a little area, and I believe it's pronounced Heberonville, uh, Texas. It was in April of 2011. Uh, this gentleman says, I was walking along West David Street to my friend's house on Renata Road. It was about 5.45 p.m. in the afternoon. Just gotten off work. On the side of the road where I was walking, I saw dust being kicked up in the air, like something was moving along uh, in the field. This little trail of dust was headed towards the road in front of me. So you saw this at a distance kind of, you know, coming in. I stopped uh, walking, not knowing what in the world to be expecting to pop up on the road, you know, here in the next little bit. Uh, About 40 foot in front of him is what he says. I can only describe as a little T-Rex dinosaur, about uh, two to two and a half foot in height. Uh, It didn't stop running as it dashed across the road into a smaller field. It was a light reddish brown, stood on two legs and had a tail that was straight out as it ran. There was no way that this was a lizard. Uh, he says he was you know, born and raised around this area. He knows all the lizards. Uh, it looked uh, very much like photos that he had saw in Jurassic Park. Um, kind of kept it to himself. Uh, he says, I didn't want to be laughed at, didn't you know, want to be made fun of. Um, but eventually he had posted this out on the Internet, I guess, to share many years later. And there was a gentleman that replied. And he says, well, I live near and I'm, I will butcher this, Falfras, Texas, which is about 18 miles east of Heberville. I and others have seen those same creatures. My neighbor and I saw a pair back in December of 2012 on a roadside behind our houses. We were scared to report our sightings as well, as I know other people in the area have seen the same creature, but we just don't like to talk about it. A family member from Sabanas, uh, Hildalgo, Mexico, told me that uh, he saw a big lizard the last time he was visiting us here. He saw it while he was driving near McAllen, Texas. He described the same thing we have seen, and as you have described, you have seen. Two to three foot tall, large head, long tail, ran on two legs, dark in color, and when it ran, its tail was totally stuck straight out. Now, he says the two creatures we saw were dark brown, not exactly matching the colors earlier. Uh, They walked quickly on two legs, and it was about 4.30 p.m. 
and we watched them for about 20 seconds as they moved towards uh, the dead end part of the road. We got a very good look at them. He said a couple nights after that, we heard short shrills coming from a bush at the end of the road in the same region. He talks about he was laying there in the bed, and they have a window air conditioner unit. And those of you who might be familiar with that, it it lets sounds in quite easily. Um, This thing apparently, he believes, came up close to uh, the house right underneath that. And he said, I was literally afraid to move in bed. It sounded like this little T-Rex was literally just two foot on the other side of the wall. Um, So it was kind of interesting, you know, again, People, sometimes we do come across things. We see things. We can't explain it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't want to be ridiculed, made fun of. But uh, this guy finally you know, mustered the courage, whatever, posted on a site. And here's several people within you know, 20, 30 miles like, oh, yeah, I saw that too. Oh, my family saw that. This guy from Mexico. I've had, I've had visitors come up and stay with me. They have saw it. Uh, so it's interesting. I don't think I'd heard that story. That is kind of interesting. Uh-huh. So you uh you you mentioned the misleading newspaper title. <laughs> it reminded me, jogged my memory of a story about my stepdad, which I don't want to embarrass anybody here. But when I was uh in in high school, uh you know like a freshman, I like to take interesting newspaper articles and I would kind of stick them to the wall in my bedroom. Very X Files ish. Yeah, I, I was, and I was into you know <laughs> you were ahead of your time. I was into the strange and unusual. Now. uh in Columbus, Ohio, they have what they call COSI, which is like the Central Ohio Science Center. And we had gone there one year. My grandmother took us because they had these animatronic dinosaurs. Sure. So, you know, you had like a T-Rex and it would move its head and roar and stuff like that. And it was really, they were really, really neat. Well, one year they expanded upon that exhibit and they had baby dinosaurs. So you could go in and you could watch dinosaurs, quote unquote, hatch, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was part of the exhibit. Well, my grandmother had sent me the newspaper clipping where they announced that in the, the Columbus, Ohio newspaper, whatever you'd call it. And so on my wall, I had this newspaper article and I think the headline just simply said, you know, baby dinosaurs hatching in central Ohio or something (laughs) like that. And, you know, I had it on my wall. I never really thought about it. We were at a barbecue at at one of my dad's friend's house sometime later, you know, summertime, we're all sitting there eating, drinking, you know, the kids playing around. And I hear my dad start telling his friend, he goes, you're not going to believe this. But he said, I saw a newspaper article the other day. This is they're growing baby dinosaurs <laughs> in central Ohio. And I, I was like, Oh, you know, and I, I'm like, dad, is, is that that newspaper article on my, on my wall? Said, yeah. And I was like, that's, um, like an animatronic thing from a side. Like I'm trying to keep my dad from embarrassing himself. <laughs> How easy, though, it is to see a, a, an article yeah, you, and jump just, to conclusions. If you just see a headline and you don't read the story. No. So, like you said, I, I saw the same one about the sturgeon where it's just like, you know, monster returns to the... Like, oh, my god! Like, oh, man. Yeah, like, so, I mean, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't take much to to completely derail you and, and, and lead you in the wrong direction. So, but I just, again, like I said, just that, that article, that it just reminded me of this little story. Funny little story. Well, we hope that you enjoyed uh, this afternoon, this evening's episode. Just another example of what you'll find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Eric, and I just wanted to give a little reach out and a plug to our first paying sponsor for Nightmares on the Lost Highway. That's our little family uh, toy and gaming shop here in Lebanon, Missouri, called Raven's Loft. If you happen to be in the central Missouri area, please check us out. We have two locations. First one is at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. We've also branched out to a second location out at the Heartland Antique Mall, also here in Lebanon. 
You're going to find all kinds of vintage toys, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mego, Universal Monsters, all types of gaming, board games, Magic the Gathering. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop by. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, swing by and check us out. Thank you so much. I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast. You can call him our producer at this point, I think. Our producer, electronic recording technician. uh, um, He's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. want to thank everybody involved with that.